Hello and welcome to season three of Who La La, a Dog Two podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Alastair. And this season, we're diving full throttle into the new era of Doctor Who. Join us each week as we look back on pivotal episodes that lead us to the 60th and catch up on things you may have missed along the way. It won't be quiet, it won't be straight, and it won't be calm. But I'll tell you what it will be. Your definitive Doctor Who companion for the 60th and beyond. So grab hold of your brand new sonic screwdriver. And let's put that honey to the bee. Sam, how was your lovely sunny weekend in Italy? Oh my goodness. I was definitely making the most of having a week off of Moon La La. I wow. went to a, a family wedding in Italy for three days and it was lovely and gorgeous and sunny and I don't want to make anyone too jealous. Already am. Already have. Uh, no, it was amazing food. Lots and lots of pasta, lots of pizza and it was delectable. How was your weekend? It looked really, really gorgeous. I'm quite jealous. I was, <laughs> this is quite funny. I was doing something that is technically a Doctor Who related project Mm -hmm. (laughs) but not really professionally (laughs) and i will talk about it more it's not it's not it's not something i can't i think it is professional it's like whatever you're not going to talk about now it's going to be televised it's going to be televised i will be on technically speaking i will be on television doing something related to doctor who on the bbc for the 60th anniversary but it you're really downplaying this I know, I I think I'm appropriately levelling this. It's not what you'd expect, but what I will say is I have managed to get my toy Daleks onto television, which is quite important. I think you were so worried for so long. Um, it's Alistair's toy Dalek that's on the cover of the Hulala uh, cover art. And I remember at the time when we were shooting it, you were like, what, what if the BBC find out and they know I'm using their Dalek <laughs> for imagery and like, they're going to come after us. And now they're going to say like, take that down. Literally. And now that same Dalek is going to be televised on the BBC. That same Dalek for this unnamed project was used by the BBC throughout. <laughs> they like, they, they basically took it back off me. Um, yeah, it's it was fun. I, so basically, I spent I spent a lot of my weekend in Wales. Um, again, that makes it sound like I was on Doctor Who, and I'm not on Doctor <laughs> Who as much as I'd love that to be true. That's not what I did this weekend. Um, but yeah, a lot less glamorous than yours. I spent a lot of time on the M4, which which all went surprisingly well. Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad. I knew it would go well. I know you're a bit daunted about the driving, but it's fine. I was, and I was driving a car I've not driven before, but it was delicious. It was, I mean, previously you know, embarrassing confession. I've driven a Fiat 500 for years. <laughs> and as Donna would have said in a deleted scene, it's like driving a hairdryer. So it's um, a, a, quite a lovely gear shift, if you will, to actually drive Not you a car with some cars. power. Oh, it's disgusting, isn't it? I know. Well, it was a good segue uh, that you were making into the episode that we're talking about today because we're diving straight into the 60th anniversary specials and we wanted to kick it off with a bang. Uh, and how better way to celebrate the Doctor and Donna reuniting than looking back on the first time they ever met with a rewatch of The Runaway Bride? Yes, we've got a real treat for all five of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we have a few more, a couple more than that. <laughs> we, had, we had like a lot of people enter our giveaway. We also need to talk about the giveaway. We did. When there's freebies involved, they, they love it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm totally kidding. We we love our fans. Um, no, we did do our our. I mean, it's not our first giveaway, is it? We've done a giveaway before. This was mm. our second ever giveaway, I think, of a sonnet screwdriver, and we had a lot of fun doing it. But we completely forgot that a really important mechanism <laughs> when doing a giveaway is to ask people to like and retweet. We did an entry mechanism that requires absolutely no, no social media traction. For we us. literally, we were asking people to DM us. And so it was the most private way of people interacting <laughs> with the account you can think Completely of. private entry mechanism. Yeah. Um, but we have had to think about kind of like, what are some more fun items we can give away? And I was having a look on eBay and without spoiling anything just yet, we've got more than a few things that we think you'll actually really, really want that are quite funny. So mm-hmm. do keep your eyes peeled. Follow at Pod on just about every social media network there is because we're on there now. And uh, we've got some goodies for you coming up. We really do. It's if In case you needed any more incentive to be listening to Hula La, uh, you're going to have to keep your ears out because when we do do future giveaways, we will be teasing little little answers, maybe little questions in the episodes of the podcast that will help you with the giveaways. So you've got to make sure you're tuned in. The Runaway Bride, we're doing The Runaway Bride, by the way, for anyone who We're doing The Runaway Bride, by the way. Um, it's one of those episodes that we talk about sometimes where, like, I've rewatched it so many times I could probably quote it word for word. But watching it this time and actually taking the time to, like, analyse it and, like, mm-hmm. focus on it, there was quite a few things in it, especially with Donna's character, that, like, really 
surprised me or took me back. I think I'm so used to how she is as quote unquote, like companion Donna, like the yeah. traveler of the universe, sort of an explorer that especially when you see her at the beginning of the episode, she's just like human Donna Noble. Yeah. It's yeah. so jarring and funny at the same time seeing how different it is it's just so funny to me it's such a great episode it's pure entertainment like it's whenever we we talked about this before but whenever we do a Catherine tate episode and specifically like anything from series four we're almost like oh that's that's a bit like that's a bit of a treat to dip into it like that's mm-hmm. That's like dipping into a really nice pudding and it's a bit like, like, should we be saving that for later? It's like an aero mousse. Oh, it's an aero (laughs) mousse. And it's like, oh, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be going into that yet. And then when you, you're so right. Like this one, rewatching it and really soaking it up and focusing on the subtitles. The lines in this, I mean, this is pure comedy. I had to make separate notes today just of like, script highlights because mm-hmm. there were so many of them and a lot of them were lines that had gone way over my head like mm-hmm. the last five watches that we'll get into that uh are incredibly funny it's just it's just like relentless funny line it's so funny good. line serious moment action funny line <laughs> it, just, it just comes for you club bus another club i know i i when me and Alison make notes when we're watching the episode normally my notes like here's a high here's low here's a high most of mine again like yours is just lines that i thought were funny because this episode's so funny but there's also quite a few like emotionally hefty moments as well and i feel like the comedy doesn't undermine those moments and those moments don't undermine the comedy like we'll get into it but it's it's just a very very good episode yeah it's um it's going to be difficult to condense to be honest with you because mm-hmm. it's just it's just good from the go um should we recap the episode for anyone who somehow hasn't been there for a while or even never seen this episode before which is pretty shocking absolutely shocked well i say I'd that be i'd be disgusted I, I say that i'd be absolutely shocked if no one had seen it but we're like hedging towards the 20 year anniversary like of this episode you know we're 18 years away from series one this was the uh christmas special for series two like we're really getting there yeah, we're really getting on now. Okay. <laughs> we're so old. But um, yeah, I mean, even if you haven't, I, I suggest you go back and enjoy it as what? A vintage piece of television. Exactly. Um, something that your parents used to watch. If that's you. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> um, and yeah, we think you'll like it. We think you'll love it. We think you'll love we it. We do, we do. Well, a little context to the episode. So The Runaway Bride came out on the 25th of December, 2006. It's a Christmas special, y'all. We're doing another Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Uh, directed by Euros Lin. Now, we've spoken about him on the podcast before. He's directed a multitude of Doctor episodes, but most recently he's known for directing both series one and two of Heartstopper. I don't know if you are caught up on Heartstopper, Alistair, but if you're not, um, get to I'm- that. I'm I'm not I'm not super caught up. I watched all of series one. I've watched the start of series two. It's I think it's not really for me. I like it and I really respect it for what it is. I think it's a very special piece of television. It doesn't do a lot for me, I think, because I'm just outside of the bracket it's for. I'm a I'm a cynical old gay. We get it. You hate queer youth, it's fine. You're you're, I, you're I hate queer youth and I wish ill on them all. Anyway, uh, the writer is a queer writer, <laughs> Russell T. Davies. <laughs> Welcome to Hula Lara, a queer Doctor Who podcast. Exactly. Uh, yeah, writer, Russell T. Davies. And the viewing numbers for this episode were 9.35 million. I think it was it was definitely the top 10. I always think Doctor Who is going to be the top viewed thing on Christmas Day, but it's always the Queen's speech. It was definitely in the top 10 for the most viewed thing over the Christmas week. Uh, and it has an IMDb score of 7.5 out of 10, which I think is criminally underrated. Yeah, that's really weird. Like what I found watching this as well is putting it on the TV in the living room. It sucks everyone in. Like people were working at home today. I put it on at lunchtime and people are like, oh, I'm just going to just kind of like work on my laptop while it's on. And like gradually and gradually and gradually like laptops start closing and people start watching. (laughs) And it's, you know, I've got flatmates who didn't grow up in the UK and didn't grow up with Doctor Who and it sucks everyone in Mm -hmm. because it's so entertaining. This one really is like an adventure from the get go. Mm -hmm. And it's just packed with such good lines, such good pacing, such kind of constant tension and comedy that... You, you just can't like really look away from it and it's, every it, line's iconic it's great i didn't really realize and again we'll give a quick summary of the episode but ha- just how fast-paced it is like obviously they have the whole scene beginning in the tardis and i think when they land on earth 
by that point we've already had quite a big story with the doctor and donna i think it's mm-hmm. like seven minutes into the episode of like an hour long spec like there is this episode every time i thought i was like getting towards the end of the episode in a good way i mean i'd look and it would still have like half to go and i was like this is a tightly packed episode yeah 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 i mean with all of doctor who again broken record but massive challenge always for a writer is to set up and resolve everything in just 45 minutes new characters new places it's like an incredible feat and when we recap these episodes and we go back over them and we do them at speed they sound ridiculous and Mm -hmm. it's like well that can't work on screen and somehow it does it really does. Well, as always, my advice is please just, the, the episodes are on iPlayer, go watch them. They are amazing, especially this one. Uh, for anyone who needs a little refresher for The Runaway Bride or maybe hasn't seen it, here's a quick summary of the episode. Picking up immediately after the loss of Rose Tyler, the Doctor is faced with a mysterious bride who, to both of their surprise, has somehow managed to appear in the middle of the TARDIS. Her name's Donna and she does not want to be late for her wedding. They land on Earth, but the TARDIS can't quite pinpoint the church in Chiswick where she's getting married. So Donna takes matters into her own hands and hails a cab. She doesn't realise, however, that her taxi driver is a robot Santa, and the Doctor quickly learns that the pilot fish from the previous year have returned. Donna realises she's being kidnapped, and after a speedy chase in the TARDIS, the Doctor catches up with Donna and frees her from the taxi. They finally return to the wedding, but the pilot fish soon follow and threaten to harm her and their guests. After the Doctor apprehends them, he realises that they're working for a higher entity, and it all has something to do with H.C. Clements, the company where Donna and her fiancé Lance work. The three of them head there and find a torture base underneath the Thames, where they learn that Donna has been somehow filled with Huon particles, a dangerous energy from the dark times of the universe. We meet the Empress of the Rachnos, a giant spider-like alien who's been using Lance to feed Donna the Huon particles to create a key to the centre of the Earth where her babies have laid dormant since the creation of the Earth. Lance has betrayed Donna, but the Empress soon betrays Lance by feeding him to her children. The Doctor then floods the base with water from the Thames, drowning all of the Empress's children. Donna tells the Doctor to leave before it's too late, and then the military blows up the Empress's ship. Once back on dry land, the Doctor asks Donna to travel with him, but she says no, as she can't live the life he leads. They say the goodbyes, wondering if destiny will cross their paths again. Ooh, and what do you know? It does. Oh, it does. It does. It only does. It only, it only does. It only got and does it. Um, yeah, I don't really know what more I can add. I mean, we've got a whole podcast. I have a lot to add, but it's just a bloody great <laughs> What episode. more can I say? Oh, hang on. <laughs> Another 45 minutes yet. Oh my God. No, it's just, it's such a good episode. I mean, normally, yeah, we like basis on like highs and lows. We're not even going to do that this week. It's just hard. Like it's, it's basically It's just a highs. solid. It's, it's just a solid, a solid. We're running off a few biases. One is that um, we have the nostalgia factor for this one we also are i think big fans of just this dynamic the 10 donna dynamic i think is probably our favorite ever with just the way she sasses him and the way that forces his character to be and the way that she really holds her own um we're catherine tate fans as well mm-hmm. we're fans of her comedy it all lands really nicely it's a russell t davies story so much to like let's get into it immediate high for me almost just starting chronologically is the moonshot so Mm -hmm. the opening scene we get the same opening that we do in the first episode rose and we get this panning down with a beautiful murray gold score from the moon to the earth Mm -hmm. zooming in closer 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 landing on a building pulling in pulling up and you are inside the church with donna and I just love that shot. I really want it back. I really mm. like that way of introducing a story. It's a shame that they kind of dropped it with series five because I thought it was such a fun way of introducing a new character. Um, and it was funny as well because they usually use it, I guess, for introducing a new companion, but she was only ever really introduced as a as a one-off character. Yeah, I was trying to remember if they do it for Martha or not. My instinct is telling me they don't. I think I don't the think they do it for Martha, do they? times they've done it, are for the introduction of Rose and the introduction of Donna. But yeah, it's interesting because they didn't originally plan for Donna to be more than a one-off companion. Uh, Obviously, played that well in the end. Uh, But yeah, no, I love it. I couldn't tell if it was the beginning of Westminster Bridge playing or just like a swelling orchestra, like... Like, going into it. But yeah, it brought me straight back to series one. I love it. I think it's a really good, like, hook, line, and sinker to get people into the episode. 
Um, and yeah, straight off the bat, I think that it's really, it's really, really good. Obviously, Donna then gets transported to the TARDIS. And one thing that I love is that they reshot the ending for series two, where the Doctor sees Donna in the TARDIS, because I can't stand those green lights that they sometimes did in series two, where the whole TARDIS was green. So they refilmed yeah. that, obviously, to then have the continuity for the rest of the scene. Uh, it's a little thing, but I, I really like that they did that. That's very nice. Another high for me then is that neither Donna or the Doctor, neither of these people want to be there. They would not normally be there. <laughs> That's something that I think is really funny. The way that she reacts to being in the TARDIS and she's so miserable about being there and he's so miserable to accidentally have her and it's just the worst possible timing for him. He's <laughs> so in his feelings. He's fresh off. His kind of love of his lives has just been kind of trapped in a parallel universe. He's barely had a chance to mourn her and sniff her jacket. We'll get into that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> suddenly this very lippy woman has arrived and is absolutely furious and believes that he's abducted her. Um, I really, really, this was like for me, like, I think like the best script moment in it. It's like, you're inside the TARDIS. The what? The TARDIS. The what? <laughs> The TARDIS, what? <laughs> it's called the TARDIS. That's not even a proper word. You're just saying things. It's so funny. The whole interaction with her, and the same, I thought the same thing as you with roses. It's the shirt that she wore in New Earth, the like pinky purpley one. And it is just, you know, the shirt from, you know, many moons ago. The doctor randomly has out on the console right after just he basically called her. He was definitely giving her a little cheeky sniff. And then um, she finds <laughs> him. It's like, how many women have you abducted? I just love how much Donna's shouting in this episode. I do as well. She's so accusatory. She goes in, she goes in for violence and she yeah. doesn't stop. She, really she doesn't does. stop for about she, half an hour. She's going for blood. But this is what I was saying before. Like we get so used to seeing Donna as, you know, the worldly traveler across the universe, friends with the doctor. She, I think she sort of mellows out. She becomes quite wise and authoritative. Whereas this like human Donna straight out of Chiswick that we're just meeting, she's just like later in series four, Wilf says it, he's like, um, you're not going to sort the world out by shouting at it. And she's like, I can try. Like yeah. she just, her instinct is just loud you know? exactly this is the donna who is like just angry at the world mm. and doesn't know how to channel that and this is kind of like the tragedy in the end is that when donna loses all her memories this is what she becomes again mm -hmm. is just this person who's kind of like raging at the world and even worse now kind of like feels that they've lost something i guess when we next get her back but doesn't remember what it was and so all these things that kind of help grow and change her and find purpose are gonna eventually sadly be you know lost again um yeah, back to Rose's jacket. That part's really funny. Um, it's just kind of out on the console to kind of prompt the conversation and for the doctor to say that he's just very recently lost a friend. What do you mean, lost? Um, <laughs> and the there's lines. no reason for him to be there. So he has just been kind of affectionately touching holding that when he was so rudely interrupted by Donna. Yeah, no, exactly. And I love that within the first like interaction that the Doctor and Donna ever get, we already are introduced to the character of Neris. Oh. Like, I just love that Neris holds that big of a, a, a stature in Donna's life, that she's the, who put you up to this? Was it Neris? And he's like, who the hell is Neris? And oh. she's like, your best friend. <laughs> Who's Neris? Your best friend. Oh, this has got Neris written all over it. She finally got me back. <laughs> I like, I, this is the thing about Russell's writing. Like, for what? Like, you know, like, it's for the, what? The exactly. It's immediate curiosity. It's this, it's this balance that's so good, right? It's mm. like they're in space. Something impossible has just happened. She's breached the TARDIS. It shouldn't be possible. She evaporated at her own wedding and appeared somewhere else. And it's still. Neris is still the thing that bothers her the most. And for a second, they get caught up in that. The next thing I'll say as well, that's another high for me kind of related to that, is <laughs> 10 minutes after this, when they are back on Earth, nothing, the only thing Donna wants is to get back to the wedding. She doesn't care about anything else. She's willing to compartmentalize and package away this whole experience. She doesn't care. She's like, I just want to get to the church. And she's so frantic and so furious about doing it that the doctor shares her urgency. And it's only when I rewatched this that I was like, why? Because the doctor has no stake in this. And he is sprinting like, she's like money, money, get money. And he's sprinting to the cash point. Like, <laughs> we've got to get cash. We've got to get cash. We've got to get to the church. We've got to get in the taxi. We've got to get... There's no reason that he should be in this rush other than Donna has... <laughs> convinced him that this is this is a crisis and he i mean he has she has completely rattled him he is flustered the last mm -hmm. of the time lords is 
panicking about getting this woman <laughs> with no pockets to a wedding. Oh my god. I think that, that's very admirable. I, again, me just writing down like lines that I really liked. When I went to my fitting at Shares Allison, the one thing I forgot to say was give me pockets. Like Give me pockets. <laughs> the whole argument. And it happens all throughout the episode when they get in the cab and she's like, You got any money? He's like, No, haven't you? She's like, Pockets. Like it's little yeah. things like that that in this episode they keep coming back to. I think Neris is one of them, the pockets is one of them, Lance is one of them. Like they just keep waiting. It's so funny and so well written. That whole scene where they <laughs> she calls her mum and she's like, Oh my god, I don't know where I am. I'm definitely on Earth. Um and there's a WH Smith. <laughs> I feel like you're just really and I think this is what the doctor gets caught up in you're just following like Donna's continual train of thought and yeah. no thoughts just vibes like that's really where we are with her it's so funny it's so good the other thing I really like that totally went over my head like every other time I've seen this until now and it was almost like watching like new a new edit just because I hadn't remembered it um is when she's trying to hail a taxi and oh, people yeah. are kind of shouting at her and they're like stay off the sauce darling they think I'm drunk you're fooling no one mate they think I'm in drag <laughs> it's, it's so funny I, I know I remember I can't remember where I definitely wouldn't have clocked that when I was a kid but I, I remember watching that there's one line I always used to say when I was a kid like, did you, ever, did you ever find that when you watch a TV show or movie when you're a kid and you randomly be like walking down the street and you just like regurgitate a line from a show that you like? I still do that now. All I the still time. Do, I, for me, it was always, well, duh, maybe not on Mars, but here it's Christmas Eve. I literally would just like, be at school. I'd be like, well, duh, maybe not on Mars. <laughs> it's so random. Uh, I love that. Can I tell you one thing that bugged me? It's not like a low or anything. It's just really, really, bu- and it's always bugged me. Like, I remember this, like watching it when I was a kid. Yeah. Go on. So we obviously get reintroduced to the pilot fish and I love their redesign. I was never a huge fan of the, in the Christmas invasion, that like painted sort of ornamental Santa face. We now get this like mm. chunky, almost cartoony robot face. And I really mm. like that. And uh, Donna gets in the cab. Thanks for nothing. I'll see you in court. Uh, <laughs> um, and she gets in the cab and we sort of zoom in on the pilot fish. It's meant to be our, like, as the audience, because we know the pilot fish is the audience. We're, we're following the doctor at this point. Mm. And it's all, that's also an interesting dynamic that normally the audience are following the companion, whereas in this episode, you're very much following the doctor. Yes. Um, yeah. But it zooms in on the pilot fish taxi driver and his eyes are this mesh that's clearly there because the actor playing him needs to be able to see to drive. Mm-hmm. So they, they just cut out his eyes and put this grey mesh and he drives away. They don't even, you know, like on the sides of buses, they have posters on the windows and when you look close up, yeah. it's a mesh that they, so they, they have the print on the front. They could have just painted or printed on the front eyeballs and they don't. So it's just grey mesh. And then the next time you see him, it's in the cab and the car, I'm assuming, is on a rig. So they cut to his face and then suddenly he's got eyes again. And you're like, right, okay, fine, Oh whatever. no. And then in the next shot within the car, he's suddenly got the mesh back again. And it, I don't know if you noticed this, but it was driving me crazy. I Every didn't notice other that shot, at all. It's mesh eyes and then it's real and then eventually she obviously pulls off the mask and you see the pilot fish and i'm just like like it's a little thing of continuity but it really like Um, ground my gears it's so that is annoying however the whole of kind of santa's a robot (laughs) and just the whole idea of like evil santa with like a trombone as a gun at christmas time a A, it's just a great callback but in itself it's just such a funny christmas time villain to have Oh, yeah, we haven't even all. said it's really a Christmas episode. <laughs> no, and it, like the thing is, like in the Christmas invasion, the last year, like it's actually really menacing. Like these three kind of like stony faced um, Santas with masks on, with kind of trombones that turn into guns is actually really scary. And uh, in this one, it's, you know, you understand the threat, but there's something a little bit more funny about it because of Donna's reaction to Santa's a robot. Um <laughs> Which I just love. I love the bit going off that in the taxi where they scored it and Murray really scored it to have the music matching like the dialogue. And she goes, mm. I'm late for the wedding. Ding, ding. My own wedding. Ding, ding. And the music is like timing her. And she, Are you deaf or what? And then pulls back the mask. And then immediately is like, and backing on the window panel. She's like, help me, help me. I'm being driven by a robot. Like to the yes. people of the car. It's so funny. This taxi chase, this whole scene is like world-class Doctor Who. It's some of the best it's ever been. I love so it. Good. I actually had, you know, like, this is my like litmus test for really any piece of media for me is like, do I get chills? Is it, do I get chills? That's my like, am I connecting with this emotionally? And, did you? and like this one, I got chills down my back. I was watching it all these years later, you know, over my lunchtime with a bagel. And I was like, chills down my back. And I just loved it. I, I as well, I'll say every time I see a taxi on the motorway now, I saw one the other day 
immediately think of this. It's just mm-hmm. rooted in my head. That image of like the TARDIS flying low, bouncing off someone's bonnet and like following a taxi down the motorway. Such genius kind of idea that someone had just like a, a way of like doing a chase that's just so like silly and could only really work in doctor who just mm-hmm. like the mundane of a motorway and like the fantastical of like the tardis kind of bouncing off people's roofs yeah because the, the tardis isn't really like meant to just fly and so it's struggling with that and you never get to see it kind of fly slowly like that it's it was just a very interesting way of showing it it's the way as well he like wraps he he can't pilot the TARDIS and be at the door trying to summon Donna in so he like has to like wrap a piece of yarn around yeah. the console so he can like have a little pulley system uh, and yeah no I love the line he says afterwards where he's like for a, for a spaceship she doesn't really do that much flying and, yeah. and it's just so like and you really this is another one of those moments in the episode where you get like a real weight of emotion and I've, I've called it like the soft dialogue I don't know if that's like the industry term for it where oh th- this is comedy 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 and then he's trying to convince Donna to trust him I'm a complete stranger you think I've kidnapped you but I'm telling you you're in danger if you stay where you are jump into the TARDIS he says trust me and she says is that what you said to her your friend the one you lost did she trust you and he goes yes she did and she is not dead she is so alive now jump that's the bit where I get chills and you see her calculating what she's going to do figure out and she does trust him and from that moment on she doesn't see the doctor as a threat anymore she sees him as at least someone she can trust she doesn't know him and and later when Sylvia asks and her like yes. who is that man and she doesn't know she, you can tell she doesn't even know but she does trust him and she will follow him yeah yeah i had exactly the same notes as you my love exactly the same ones <laughs> that that balance of comedy and poignancy is what i said Ooh. i said i I said I that's better be than soft dialogue <laughs> academic doing these readings of a Doctor Who episode but I think that's what it was and um, yeah the, the she is so alive line was was really really fantastic what I liked as well about this as well is you have like two little kids in the back of the car mm. um, just like one car down on the motorway and they're watching the whole chase happening and presumably their parents just like can't see this thing going on and they're like shouting out the back window just like jump jump but you can't hear them you can just see them mouthing it and it was cool as well because like those kids were the same age we were watching it and it was mm-hmm. almost like it was like us watching it was like our little like fourth wall moment it's not the fourth wall that's not no no, words, no i get i get what you mean though yeah. it was our like oh that's us in the episode i think like willing and her they're to like jump cheering as well. they're cheering them on and, and they then, cheer when yeah. she does it yeah and it was really nice um yeah, it, it was really fun. I, I really liked that. It's just, I mean, like I say, the balance of comedy and, and that moment, you know, not letting Rose be forgotten too soon, yeah. but just, you know, the door swinging open and Santa's a robot. <laughs> and then not within like one minute later, like that genuinely very beautiful, like, you know, emotional connection they have for the first time. Mm. Um, and like making a very literal leap of faith was very nice. And I think that was another thing I really liked as well is that, you know, it's it's mindful of the continuity that, he just lost Rose and that that's kind of like an earth shattering thing and he doesn't move on from that. So even though he's putting on his kind of like peppy doctor face, he's like, it, he, it's stuck with him very deeply and he finds it very difficult to talk about. And he's very resistant until a lot later in the episode to really say anything about her or even name her until the very, very end. And yeah. I like that it carried across because I think we've said in in more recent times, we found it frustrating that the Doctor will lose a companion in the most like harrowing, terrible way. And the next time we see the Doctor, there's no reference, like yeah. none. And he's and and they've moved on. So it's I don't always love that. No, me neither. I I actually so I, I wrote a lot of notes this episode, and a lot of them are just like I like this line. I think this is funny. But one thing I really wanted to talk with you about is the Doctor's character in this episode post losing Rose. And I really like your observation that he we as the audience aren't like forgetting her too soon. There's a lot of callbacks to her. I really like the little montage they do when they're back at the reception and everywhere the Doctor looks, it's something that reminds him of Rose. But mm. it's interesting what you were saying about the Doctor following Donna because the way that I read it when watching this episode which I don't think I've ever really thought about before is that up until a certain point in the episode he isn't 
he doesn't want to have another companion. I don't think he doesn't think he needs mm. one. He, he's lost Rose. No one will ever be able to replace Rose. And he doesn't see Donna as a person as much as he sees her as like an object of interest, like a curiosity. He's confused yeah. why she's there. And she's like a problem that he has to solve. He doesn't actually really care about any of the individual parties involved. Like when the pilot fish come and they destroy the reception, he doesn't care about all the people. She's like, you're a doctor. You can help people. And he's too busy looking at the rubble. And he's like, oh, they're fine. We need to sort this out. And he's yeah. like following all the steps of the mystery and Donna is almost at times like an inconvenience to him when he's sat on the rooftop sonicking her he doesn't really he's not there to like comfort her really he's there just using her you're not clever you're not important you're not connected exactly and it's even when later in the episode and I'm jumping ahead a bit they he works out that there's human particles in her he's he's excited and jumping up about because he's worked out the mystery he's figured it out and she needs to slap him again and say (laughs) if your people banned human particles why do they do that and he sort of stops himself and says because they're deadly and she's like does that mean they're deadly to me and it's only really that point that I think he starts to really care for Donna and then when he sees how she's been betrayed by Lance that's when he really starts to care for her as Donna Noble and not just as the problem he's solving yes I totally agree I noticed that as well with the little like bubble bombs flying out of the Christmas tree the doctor kind of observes it with curiosity right he sees it coming but he doesn't leap into action to save people he kind of lets it play out a little bit to see Mm -hmm. like this is gonna go and even then stopping the pilot fish when they get into the room he's got like that like doctory smug swagger where he's like don't let him near the sound system on the mic and does a whole little like bit. And I'm like, oh my God, my <laughs> granddad's dead. And he's kind of like doing one-liners. I was like, come on. No, but, no, no. Um, granddad's not dead. He was held up in bed with Spanish flu. Right. And, um, but it, it's, it makes sense in that context, I guess, that he's so focused on kind of like, you know, me versus alien of the week that he would be, I think, neglectful to think about like the human cost. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? And I mean, like, yeah, I mean, the character of the Doctor is interesting as well. Drink every time I say it's interesting. <laughs> that at the end of the episode, when he is flooding the lab and killing all the little Ragnos babies, and we're meant to feel kind of uncertain about this because it's quite undoctory a resolution to, like, conclude it with murder... And slash genocide. I don't know if the Ragnos. Yeah, no, she's yeah. As far as he was aware, she was potentially the last of the Ragnos, and also all the babies, like you said, they have. It's not their fault they're there. They've they've just been there since they were born. Yeah, he gets named like murderer and sits quite comfortably with that, and it's Mm. very like, ooh, is this like a happy ending? Uh, No, but we (laughs) find that with the tie-in to turn left where we see the alternate version of events where Donna wasn't there that he would have died because he would never have stopped and it kind of suggests that at that point he was so traumatised depressed by losing Rose that he was essentially suicidal and willing to die Mm. in the process which is quite scary um, to think that's kind of where it would have gone without just a nudge from Donna like you've done enough stop yeah yeah it's good. And it's funny, like, you know, that's that's where he is, despite kind of all the prancing around and the liveliness, actually, like, on quite a deep level, he's really, really messed up by the whole thing. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I've got a few more notes as well for the wedding reception, but you've made a really great point there. And one of the other points that I really wanted to touch on in this episode is sort of Donna's, how she sees herself and her self-worth. And mm. as her character plays out in series four, she always says, she's like, I'm nothing special. Like, I'm just a temp. Mm. I'm not this, I'm not that. And you see her in this episode that she, I think, feels useless and like she's kind of just there while things are happening. And even in this episode, she, like you said, she does the most important thing by all she does. is She's not changing the world by the action she's doing. All she's saying is, Doctor, you can stop now. Like, you've done enough. Mm. Let's mm. go. And that is enough to save the Doctor's life and to then Mm. save so many countless other people's lives later down the line. And this is a really interesting, I think, kickoff for this character, especially right at the end when the Doctor's saying to her, you know, travel with me, you can come with me. And she's like, basically she's saying, I couldn't live the life you lead. Like, if every day is like this, I I can't do that. And then when she gets a bit of time to sort of sit and reflect, she thinks, actually, no, I can. And that's why when we then see her in Partners in Crime, which we've already touched on, 
she's like, oh, I've been looking for you. Like I made a mistake. I should have said, yes, I can do this. I know I want to. And then she kind of like prepares herself. She always makes sure the car boot is patched. She always is keeping an eye out for the doctor and weird mm. stories. And even when she does find him and she is traveling the world, she still is constantly doubting herself and saying she's not good enough. And there's that really lovely scene with Rose in Turn Left where Rose calls her the most important woman in the whole of creation. And she just kind yeah. of laughs and says, don't, like, don't do don't, that. I don't, don't, I don't believe you. And, um, that might it's work a, on the men, Blondie. Put it on work on <laughs> Exactly. Um, something yeah. to that effect. Very loose quote, but something like that. It's uh, No, exactly. And uh, yeah, it's not until, you know, we'd later, she loses all her memories that um, the doctor tells her that there are so many people in the universe who think she's the most important woman. And Sylvia says, she still is to me. And he's like, well, maybe you should tell her that. Ooh. Because Sylvia is really not pleasant to Donna in this at all. She does have a very funny line here, but I mean, she vanishes in front of everyone and kind of zaps through the ceiling. And, uh, and, and Sylvia basically accuses her of showing off and says, oh, I've got your message. You're very funny. And they, they host a whole wedding reception without knowing if Donna's safe and where she is. They just go ahead and do it. So the people in Donna's life don't really have her back apart from, you know, we later find out, you know, her dad does and her, yeah. her granddad Wolf does. But apart from that, she's got a lot of people around her. You know, Neris is at the wedding. Neris hates her. Neris and she hates clearly her. Settles for settles for friendships that, you know, aren't, you know, very caring and it's yeah. just kind of a, you know, thing of convenience. I guess I th- that's kind of what Neris shows on some level, but... Mm. I think a lot of her self-worth probably does come from her. I've seen, I see, I, I can't like, I love Sylvia Noble. I think she's really funny. I also wrote here that like, she's, I really love her as a mother character, but she also specifically in this episode as a mother, like a mother-in-law, like a mother of the bride. I think she su- does that so well. Um, she I've does seen the-, the mother of the bride bit very well here. Exactly. Um, I've seen a lot of discourse on Twitter where they're they're saying she's an abusive mother and I can't necessarily say that I disagree, despite that I still really like her as a character. Because, you know, in this episode, when we see her in the next episode with Donna, she's just shooting Donna down and saying, you know, like, oh, you know, you're just a temp, no one's unemployed these days, you're not doing anything with your life, blah, 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 Mm. blah, blah. Here, she doesn't believe Donna when she's been through all this trauma. Um, And uh, yeah, I think that Donna doesn't or at least in this episode we're not made to see that she doesn't really have a lot of people like giving her positive affirmations i think that might have a lot to do with why she thinks of herself the way she does yeah yeah i think that's obviously true yeah there's also just a very funny line here and i really like the way that this leads into like one of several things we find out about donna's world which is first day at school she was sent home for biting <laughs> and i just i didn't pick up on that ever before and i'd like to imagine the idea of like a young donna noble biting people i know um but I think that's that's part of, again, if I may segue into one of the things that we really like about the writing in this era as well as we get these like very full pictures of people's life outside of life with the Doctor. We know about their families, we know about their jobs, we just have a very clear picture of who they are. And there's, you know, other seasons where like even with Amy and Rory, I think we saw their parents in like one scene ever. And I don't know that they actually ever speak i think the mum has one line they they do they speak a bit the mum they're, they're in the house in the finale of series five they're in the house and then they're at the wedding and the dad's kind of like oh i'm just working on my speech I'll, i need a minute more and then i'll be ready with you and the mum kind of like f- flaps a bit but it's nothing of any substance yeah and and same with like even like clara's family i think we see her nan in one episode and it's shown that the nan is actually quite an important character okay two two episodes <laughs> for, for the audience and listening I'm, hand, I'm holding up two fingers. He, he's holding up two fingers um uh, and i think they they recast the dad yeah they did it, it was like a young flashback yeah they did a young flashback and then they recast him but like when they do the young flashback to when her mum died it's still jenna coleman playing clara so like yeah he wouldn't have aged that much you know no 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 not in a way they couldn't have just given this guy grey hair or something but yeah yeah so um, I mean on this I mean some of the things we learned about Donna I found really funny all of her backstory is really funny sent her for biting the family dynamics even things she says about well nobody makes coffee for secretaries you know just getting into like the nuances of her day-to-day working life even two years at double glazing firm you know and then the idea that like working at H.C. Clements is quite posh um there's an illusion here I missed the first time (laughs) to Donna having a dog. So when she's begging Lance to marry her, she's like, I get rid of that dog. And I guess because they never expected her to come back, they didn't need to worry about that. And it was just a line chucked in. But I really like that for me, 
my new kind of headcanon here is that Donna did get rid of a dog so that she could have lungs. And there was a time when Donna had some like horrible, bratty, snarly little chihuahua <laughs> or something who she just like banished to the kennel so that she could have lungs. It's so funny. I can definitely see that happening. I forgot that line was in there. It's a bit where she's running up the staircase. Please, 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 please. It's so funny. You really do get like a fully full... I think this is the thing I really want to see going into the new era because I, I think that in a lot of later companions, you have really grown to like them and you like mm. them when you watch them on screen whereas in this one episode you know everything you need to know about donna you know enough about her backstory uh you know enough about who she is as a character and then you really grow to like her and i think that that's mm. what i really want to see growing forward i want to see that and i know that you might not agree but i want to see more songs with words i can't listen to love don't roam by neil hannon enough it's so good in this episode mm. uh, mm. i was gonna say the music is great. I feel like the broadcast version is maybe different to the soundtrack version because I listening to the broadcast one, it had a lot of... I think it might be, And I was like, okay, this is kind of going off. And normally on the soundtrack version, I sort of, as you know, I skip over the ones with words often. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I said, I mean, like, massive high for me in this episode. The music creates such a constant energy running all the way through this. Like we said, a criticism of season two, I think this is technically part of season two, is that generally the music had it, had it well, not generally, the music could sometimes overwhelm the dialogue. In this one, I think it really compensates so nicely, just like you said in the taxi, the music actually like working alongside Donna's dialogue to actually make, to, to elevate the comedy is so good. And something else that we haven't talked about yet is Donna's theme. I think this mm. is the first, I think we only hear it for the first time, I realised, very late in the episode we don't hear it with donna's introduction i think we only hear it in around the, segway the chase scene. on the segways yeah which is nice because it's almost as if that's the moment that she's become a companion mm-hmm. with the doctor and it's almost like they've got an in joke and they're laughing together and lance isn't in on it and suddenly yeah. her and the doctor they're they're the travelers now and yeah. Lance is kind of the idiot on the side who wants to be on it, but he's not. Yeah. And I, I really like that. And and Donna's theme, we've said before, like it so quickly says everything about who she is. It's such a descriptive theme of Donna's character. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. I actually made a note that I, I hadn't thought about it how you had. And I really agree with you because I, I, I think my note said, I love the segue scene. It's so silly and fun, but not at all important to the plot. I'm so glad they kept it in because it's literally just a shot of the Doctor, Lance and Donna going on segues and laughing. But mm. you're so right that it. I think that is the moment again when you hear Donna's theme for the first time that the Doctor and Donna are really like adventurers together. Like they're, yes. they're really in on it together. And then like you said, anyone else who's there is just kind of also in the room. Um, yeah. That's a really, I really like that insight. That's really, I think really so because up until then, Donna's been like, take me home, get me to the church and try and just get away from this man who's apprehended her. And at this point, I guess the turning point is actually at the lifts where he's like, well, if there's only a basement, how come there's a sign here on the lift that says lower basement? Mm-hmm. And she says, oh, it needs a key. That's all right. You guys can go. I've got this handled. And she's like, oh, no, you don't. I'm coming with you. Mm-hmm. And I think from that point, you know, now it's her choice to be with the doctor. Yeah. And and she's enjoying it. And I think it's like the first time she's seeing it how he sees it. She's now in on the fun of it and exploring. Agreed. And she's, you know, getting a little bit of the thrill of being in the lab. Speaking of the lab as well that they enter, another great theme we get here. We get a little do 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 we get the kind of torch oh, words. Yeah, I thought that the torch And I assume we heard it before this in it was in Army the of Ghosts season two finale. Yeah, yeah, before they adapted it fully for the spinoff. Um, but I really, really like the torchwood motif. The little and I hope if we do get the heavily rumored unit spin-off i've heard some people saying like it's coming this month the announcement about that that sort of thing i really hope it integrates some aspects of like the legacy of torchwood and if they found a way to create like a theme for that which it just had like a little hint of a in it i would be over the moon because i love that i love that bit Mm. did you know in the actual Torchwood theme where they really fully flesh out the um at the end it goes torchwood that's actually David Tennant saying Torchwood. It's Is the doc- it? It's the Doctor say. I think they took a soundbite from when either in either this episode or in the finale of season two, 
the Tenth Doctor said Torchwood or whispered it, and they edit that into it. And so at the end of it goes, and it's David Tennant saying it, which I think is really fun. That is fun. It's quite spooky the way it's edited. It sounds really creepy. I guess they really like, you know, play with the pitch and stuff for that. But Can I, I know that we're getting late into the episode and I can't believe we haven't touched on this. Can I please bring the conversation around to the Empress of the Ragnos? Babe, you can because it was my me- it was my next note. Oh well, I so my note. Uh, part of my French says the Empress of the motherfucking Ragnos. <laughs> I I love her as a villain. I love how we don't even get like alluded to her until way into halfway through this episode. And then when mm. we do, we start seeing, you know, over-the-shoulder shots and close-ups of her hands, and you hear, she's got a real, like, villain voice. She's talking through her teeth. A big, and lispy, campy big, this, voice. Exactly. And you kind of see her from underneath, and you can see the legs, and you, you see all the webs around her, and you're starting to, like, get alluded that she's a spider. But yeah. actually seeing her there, I love the line as well that the Doctor says um, when he's talking to her over the intercom, and he goes, only a mad one would speak to thin air and believe me you don't want to make me mad then she teleports down i think this has to be one of if not the best practical effects for a monster doctor who has ever done it's just Mm. the sheer scale of it and the fact that even though she's always like stationary she doesn't like walk around she is always moving and her body is swaying and going up and down fantastic it's the makeup the prosthetics the like rigging of her body it's just so good i read somewhere that it only took like they filmed all of her scenes in three days which is crazy to me uh just by how much she's in the latter half of the episode and how good her performance is it's just so good yeah it's 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 one of those like how do they do that moments as well because she's on this massive prosthetic body and I don't think about her as an actress with legs. <laughs> like I think yeah, about I her as like part of this huge costume, even like the sharp teeth, the many eyes, um, and like the way they film her as well. Like every time she gets angry and she kind of like lashes around, the camera gets more chaotic with it. Mm-hmm. It's all very, very well done. And it's funny because like some bits of like the CGI around it or the compositing or whatever you want to say I you know I'm not going to get super technical about it but you <laughs> can you know I will because <laughs> I know you well and and you can tell they they really stand out like they've not aged super well like even like the scene where the ball balls start moving it's almost like it's almost like the whole shot has slightly degraded in quality or something like there's something yeah. a bit off and there's a lot of dodgy green screen where they're looking like behind when they're looking down the hole and you can see the doctor's yes. on a kind of like green you can tell that they are in front of a green screen and the hole has been placed and then mm-hmm. behind that is practical again. It's very obvious where things are not real. But, you know, again, like this is all like in credit of like great practical effects. Like she's aged incredibly well and it looks great. I it's great. It. I um, mean, yeah. I know it's a very me thing. And also people who have been listening to podcasts have called me up on it. They say I talk about action figures and stuff too much. And dear listener, I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, have you ever seen the action figure for the Empress of the Ragnos? No, I have not. So Doctor Should I Who, Google this? No, yeah, Google it. Um, I was going to show you a picture, but you Google it. So Doctor Who have a five inch figure scale and they used to make these things called deluxe figures and they made like a oh. Reaper and they made the Empress of the Ragnos, made like, several deluxe ones, which were really big. And they had a full scale Empress of the Ragnos figure with completely movable legs, wow. movable arm pincers. It was the pride and joy of every Doctor Who collector's collection. <sighs> and I think it was only like £29 or something like that. Like, well, it was very affordable. Uh, it, it's taken everything within me not to purchase one as an adult because it is a beautiful piece of toy art. I really have a respect for, like, toy art specifically, and it is just an amazing piece. Wow. I mean, I'm just looking at it on eBay right now. Hey, yeah, like, it. I can't quite work out how big it is from it the It was pictures. about this big. Look at me. It was about this big. Wow, it it's huge. really creepy. It's not something I'd want my kids to have in the house. <gasps> I have a really funny it's story. Very icky. So I, my mum had quite a major surgery when I was a kid. When this around the time this came out, and as like to kind of like, she was in the hospital for a few weeks, and to kind of I think like pluck up our spirits. I think her and dad like were like, oh, we're, you can each like choose something <laughs> you want, like buy something you want, and little old me was like. I want the Empress of the Ragnar. So as like a, a, to kind of like pick up her spirits, they let me buy them. And I remember visiting my mum in the hospital and going to show her this brand new toy that I'd bought, which is this huge, ugly, horrific red spider. And my dad being like, put that away. You're like on a hospital ward and people recovering from major surgeries and you're going to 
terrify them all with this huge spider. Yes. Oh my god. We were like, Mum, look. I know. Look I was like, isn't I've it got. cool? And she was like, get I, that away from me. Get that away from me right now. I'm looking at it. You can get it in like new sealed condition, eighty pounds right now on eBay. How are you feeling about that? I mean, I've seen ones on eBay. I've been. I've done looking too. And you can get someone. I remember the paint used to chip on it quite a lot, but you can get unsealed ones for like thirty quid. I want to say. Oh come on. The box, I've just realized like, the detail on this, the like vacuum seal on the plastic is is spiderweb design as well. They used to go so hard and I keep, I, I know I'm a broken record, but I keep saying I want not only like accessible toys for kids, because this was aimed at kids and has now been like adopted by collectors, but also the packaging, like everything about, you know, the Dalek that we did our unboxing video for, the inside of the box was meant to look like Van Staten's museum. I We mm. have, so there's a little teaser for everyone listening. We are planning to do a lot more video content coming out and I may or may not have purchased something uh, that was also available around this era that we're going to be doing an unboxing mm. for. And I've had a look at the packaging for that and it's, it's, bloody glorious uh, you've kept a lot of it secret from me i don't even know what some of this is i've just been told that i need to come over pretty soon to see some surprises we've got from ebay mm-hmm. i'm very excited for it but yeah anyway empress of the Rack great character amazing. the only thing i would have wished to have seen and i'm really glad they didn't do this because they would like you said they wouldn't be able to do this at the time is in a world like if you were going to make this today i think you could cgi her well enough that you could do a few walking shots and see her maybe yes, like crawl up the walls and along yes. the ceiling and like see her because she kind of like especially when he drowns the babies she just kind of stands still and like shouts and it's like my children and i'm really glad they didn't try to cgi because i think we would have had a Slovene situation where it's just so yeah. jarring but if it was made today or oh, i would love to see because she's the empress of the Ragnos, so i would love to see a story with other Ragnos. um i'd like to see them like crawling up the walls and hanging upside yes, down and seeing if they maybe produce webs. Like I think it could be yeah. I think it could like take arachnids of the UK and like really like do something more with it, you know? You could do something really horrible. I bet if you saw the way she moved, it'd be horrifying like mm-hmm. a horrible little spindly legs moving like really quickly. Ugh. Yeah, it'd be great. That'd really elevate, I think, the horror of it. Because a lot of that scene would really be elevated, I think, by a bit more movement, because a lot of it is just back, forth, back, forth, angle of Doctor and Donna, angle of the Ragnos, back on Doctor Donna. Uh, And, yeah, it'd probably be a lot more interesting and menacing if the Ragnos didn't just stay on a ledge and actually came near them, and you could see how much bigger it was than them, and it was kind of intimidating them a little bit. Um, Yeah, it almost feels like she's constrained to that corner when she isn't. And it's also just funny, like, for, like, a ancient monster it keeps that doctor who campiness when her children are being drowned my children <laughs> there's an emotional roller coaster in that so like when donna realizes that lance has betrayed her it is actually like heart-wrenching seeing her because she's yeah. not quite like not to be rude to donna she's not quite clever enough to work it out on her own mm. and she needs the doctor to kind of talk her through it. and the doctor realizes obviously a lot quicker than she does and he has to kind of like spell it out for her and then they quickly go to the center of the earth which again like they go to the beginning of the creation of the earth i think that scene was unnecessary if i had to have a loaf this episode i think it really i think they needed like a spectacle because like you mm. said there is a lot of just back and forth between the Dr. Donner and the Ragnos and I, they needed like a big spectacle scene but it really like slows down the pace for me but you get this great acting by Catherine where she's like silently crying and you know that they, they've said it before in Doctor 2 that like when you mm. hear like a child quietly cry you know that it, something's really wrong and you see the Doctor like chippering away in the TARDIS and she's just silently crying to herself and then all of a sudden they're force feeding Lance the human particles then they're back and then they're making <laughs> jokes in the webs and then they're waterboarding Lance <laughs> they really Waterboarding oh, I had another note that was like, why play the long game with Donna when they could have just when you could have just Lance? chugged it down Lance? I know. Um, mm. Yeah, great point. You know what made me think of just them with the crying in the TARDIS? Mm-hmm. Did you see that thing that was going around? It was that scene from the Flux, and there's this character called Carvanista. I'm sorry. Yes. Oh, I think it's yes. Carvanista. I know exactly. And he's mean. like in the TARDIS, like sulking because his whole species just got wiped out. And uh, Yaz goes, like, "Is he okay?" And uh, of all people, Dan goes. I mean, he's just lost all of his people. And he's kind of just sat and like just head in hands like, oh dear. And the doctor just completely ignores and is like, right, we're in position. <laughs> I'm like, you're the last of the Time Lords and you have nothing to add to like Nothing to add. This guy. Last of the Time Lords, like the one like, like genocide understander in the room was like, not my issue. I'm not dealing with this. That's like, that's my thing. And you're kind of taking my thunder. Could you not? <laughs> 
<laughs> Very funny. Well, talking about the last of the Time Lords, it's really interesting in this episode seeing, like, I love seeing the collateral damage that the Time Lords and the Time War have on other species. Because as soon as uh, the Rachnos realizes that the Doctor's the Time Lord from Gallifrey, she's like, you've murdered the Rachnos. And I'm assuming yeah. it's a reference to the Time War. But, like, honestly, knowing the Time Lords, it might not have been. They might have just murdered the Rachnos. I don't know. Yeah, it, I, I, it was always implied to me that it wasn't a Rachnos thing, that it was almost like a pest control thing that they have like some like instinctive dislike of them like mm-hmm. it was kind of like a ooh, like that's a species that the time lord deemed a bit icky yeah. and they went after because i think we, we we always have illusions that the time lords were like complex and unpleasant people and in the end went power mad but even up until that point had like a lot of secrets mm-hmm. and complexities um i really like when we get like dropped little hints about things the Time Lords did, like yeah. all the people got rid of Huon particles. Like, it's kind of like a ridiculous thing to be able to do, like remove a type of particle from the universe, but makes complete sense that Time Lords could do it. I quite like when we got little like nibbles of Time Lord history kind of peppered around, like, oh, my people worked that out, or, oh, that's yeah. Time Lord science. They used to know how to do blank, or the Reapers, like, oh, my people would have stopped this. Like, just really things that example. would have been, like, snap of the fingers easy for, like, a Time Lord to do that's not possible anymore. Like, I always quite enjoy that. Me too. I mean, you really, they dive into it more, obviously, in, like, Jodie's era, uh, which is a real highlight of Jodie's era, I think a lot of people look over, but that how power hungry the time lords kind of became and like they kind of the master i think comments on it he's like what kind of species calls themselves time lords time lords and um that i think says everything you sort of need to know the other thing that kind of occurred to me with the huon particles was that we're led to believe that having huon particles in your body especially kind of over the kind of period that donna was drinking them in her coffee is really dangerous and they're super toxic and it's kind of just like deemed resolved when they get like sucked the out. The Rachnos, yeah, when the Rachnos uses them as the key and they just kind of suck all the particles out of her and it's kind of just fixed. But I, I wondered if, oh, I wonder if this kind of ancient, mysterious particle being inside Donna's biology for so long could be some kind of explanation for how she could survive a Time Lord human metacrisis. Ooh. A kind of particle that was kind of thought to be extinct in the universe, but the Time Lords thought was so dangerous they removed it. I wondered if, oh, could that kind of exposure do something to Donna's biology? Can I clown for a minute? Do I clown. So, you know, when Donna comes back after she's had her memories removed in the end of time and she's starting to remember things about the mm. Doctor and we have that cliffhanger where she's, you know, what can I see a giant wasp? And she's starting yeah. to remember it all. And we've always been told that if Donna remembers the Doctor that she'll die. And yeah. then there's kind of a throwaway line where the Doctor's like to the Master, oh, she's you didn't think I'd leave my best friend without any defences. But what you actually physically see when she's freaking out, freaking out, freaking out is this golden bright yellow white kind yeah. of explosion out of her head that looks very very similar to the huon particles the huon when they're particles. making her glow and do this so i'm wondering if the doctor had used the residual huon energy in her body to somehow protect her from the her mind collapsing when she remembers everything and then maybe like you said they could then use that somewhere because it's clear at least to me we don't obviously know that Donna will remember the Doctor. Like, from what we've seen yeah. in the tease and what we kind of know, she's going to be in it for episodes. We know she ends up in the TARDIS. The Doctor will eventually remember the Doctor. So it would be interesting to see if they maybe use human energy to kind of describe I that. will say, just about every kind of mystical light in Doctor Who is golden. Like, that the generation energy is a golden glow. <laughs> um, that is also The true. TARDIS, when it takes human form, has a golden glow. Um, like, Listen, the, the I light preface inside, this with I'm clowning. No, you, you did. Uh, you did, but it'd be a wonderful explanation on some level, wouldn't it? It kind of makes sense. We don't really know anything about Huon particles. It would be nice to bring it right back round to the beginning. Like, to, I hope it that they. Would. I hope they reference this adventure. I mean, we already know that Russell said that Neris is getting a good old reference. Oh, well, talking about uh, Donna and coming back and stuff, I, I really like the the unintentional foreshadowing of when the doctor's saying goodbye to her and she says, am I ever going to see you again? And he's like, if I'm lucky. Mm. And I think that was, it's it, it's one of those like real poetic things that Russell couldn't have planned because obviously he wasn't intending for Catherine to come back for a main series, yeah. but that's dropped in there 
that he doesn't normally do with one-off companions, doesn't do it with Adelaide, doesn't do it with Lady Christina D'Souza, who, who's had a whole other life on Big Finish, um, doesn't do it with Miss Kylie Minogue. It's just with Donna. And I think that was like a deliciously unintentional thing. It was. I really, really liked that as well. It lined up very nicely, this idea of like destiny binding them together. And I like that for the 60th still, from what we see in the trailers, it's like it still isn't done. You know, all the way towards the end of the series four finale, which is kind of the conclusion of Donna's story. It's like, it's still not done. It's still not done. It's still going. Something's still drawing us together. The story's not finished yet. And you're kind of led to believe that it's over when Donna has her memories wiped. And I think that's like the death, isn't it? That one of these insane Daleks predicts is kind yeah, of Yeah, Dalek like Carney says that, that um, one of your companions will die. And what they mean is the version of Donna that, that traveled with the Doctor in the TARDIS is dead. And the version yeah. of Donna that remains is the one who never knew him. Yes. So it's nice that there's still something cosmic binding them together one more time. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. This whole episode, it feels like both an event for Doctor Who, but also without it even realising at the time, such a precursor to so many things that would happen down the line. And it just makes me all the more excited to see, like you said, their story's not complete. The story's not done. Destiny is heading for Donna Noble. And I can't wait to see what the next chapter of the story is. I know. It's really impossible to think how this is going to be resolved. I'm sure it will be quite tidy the way that it is done. And they've had plenty of time to think about it. And, you know, in all honesty, I think everyone accepts Donna coming back and any solution they give will be welcome. Very, very excited to see how they bring her back one more time. Alistair, are you ready for season three of Hoodala's first ever Camp or Dan? Woohoo! Yeah! <laughs> Okay, camp or damp. Yep. Thanks for nothing, spaceman. I'll see you in cold. Camp or damp. <laughs> camp, and especially the the pronunciation of cold. <laughs> I'll Thanks see for you nothing, cult. spaceman. I'll see you in cold. I'll see you in cold. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. That's I love good. it. They think I'm in fancy dress. They think I'm drunk. They think I'm in drag. Camp or damp? <laughs> Camp. And I really like the respectful way that it wasn't, they think I'm a man. I like the way it was like, they think I'm in drag. I was like, that that elevated it for me somehow. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really funny, they think I'm in drag. It could have really um, gone south to like a really awful mid-noughties transphobia joke. Uh, it, and it really didn't. could have. And, it, and didn't. it didn't. And I'm so glad it didn't because that just that, that really elevated it. It's the, it's the triple whammy as well. Fancy dress, drunk, drag, mm-hmm. not able to get a taxi. Really funny. Really good. Uh, and number three, having the reception without the bride to quote, you had the reception without me. Campbell Dan. They had... The reception without me. No, I noticed. I, I, I gathered. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I gather. Um, I yeah, camp, incredibly good. It's just another one of those moments, like kind of like literally like record scratch. You had the reception. You know, Neris is in frame. All incredibly funny. Oh, we well, it's all paid for. Message. Why not? Definitely on planet Earth. Oh, it's just, so camp to me. Everyone's good. Everyone's so good. Would you like a couple of fun facts to round off this episode? Oh, I'd love some. Go on. Gorgeous. See if there's any I don't know. Well, I, do you know what? There was some that I didn't know, so I think there'll be some to surprise you. Uh, oh. This is actually the first episode in New Who where Gallifrey gets mentioned by name. Oh, I find that very hard to believe that we have gone this far, like talking about like the last of the Time Lords. I know. My people he, are he, gone. At least on screen, never told Rose what planet. He would say like, my planet's gone or my people would have stopped this. I'm the last of the Time Lords. But we never God. got, this is the first time where the Doctor says the word Gallifrey on New Who. A very slow reveal. Very slow reveal. the name. Okay. God. Uh, Catherine Tate was unable to attend the traditional first cast read through the episode, so David Tennant's then-girlfriend, Sophia Miles, read the part of Donna Noble. Then-girlfriend, Sophia Miles, is very jarring and upsetting. Um, <laughs> yeah, interesting. Can you imagine how like miserable that would have been if it was Donna Noble as played by Sophia Miles? Oh, God. <laughs> it means so off. I did, at one point in time, have quite a crush on Sophia Miles when she played Lady Penelope in the Thunderbirds movie. That's now on the permanent record, so um, I'll be ending the podcast here. <laughs> and not coming back to it. So sorry. So no, sorry. you have to stay. You have to stay. It's got a couple more fun facts for you. Okay. 
So originally, the idea of putting the TARDIS in a car chase was a Russell T Davies idea that he'd wanted to do apparently since childhood, and he originally suggested it for school reunion with the Doctor rescuing Sarah Jane Smith from a car chase. Okay. Uh, but it was then later decided that it took too much time away from Sarah's development in that episode, so they decided to scrap it. Yeah, and probably like physically too far from the school. I wonder where they would have been taking her. I don't know, maybe chasing acrylatane, who knows? I'm really glad they pushed that idea. I think sometimes, I mean, I think actually a lot of Doctor Who fans, if they really thought about it, could pin down one scene at least that they've always wanted to see, something they wish they'd explored, one image in your head. What's yours? Go on. Well, mine is my next fun fact. This, I can't, you could not have linked this better for me. So as you know, there's a lot of amazing deleted scenes from this era. And in this episode as well, the one where they're in the KA and uh, yeah, Donna's yes. like driving in a hairdryer. It's so good. I think it's a, I think it's a smart car. Sorry, a smart car. Yes, it's a smart car. Uh, but there's one deleted scene that they did film and I have never seen. I don't know if this footage exists on the internet and I would, if anyone listening knows if this exists, please send it my way. So Bella Emberg, whose name I don't think you'll recognise, she filmed a cameo in this episode where the Doctor and Donna are travelling to the wedding on a bus and they filmed this scene oh. it exists uh but it was deleted for timing reasons and bella emberg played the character of mrs coot who had previously been in series two and i wouldn't be surprised if you don't know mrs coot by name but you will know her by character <laughs> she was in love and, her by name. <laughs> she was in love and monsters as the character when elton is like how am i gonna find this one girl in the city of millions and she's like oh no that girl that's rose tyler she lives just down there her mother's jackie oh yes yeah and they had a scene where she interacts with the doctor and daughter on this bus on the way to the wedding and they oh. cut it and i'm devastated and this is something i would love to see i'd love to see this that would have been a nice little callback a little easter egg there for people who are really paying attention i think that would have been so funny what's your scene you'd want to see what's yours um something i'd like to see i think the one in childhood i always really wanted for some str- <laughs> strange reason i really want to oh, i really wanted the doctor to meet jesus of nazareth <laughs> <laughs> and i knew they couldn't do it but i just wanted to see how they'd approach it your religious upbringing is showing i wanted oh, doctor God. who to definitively answer for me the question of whether he was really a miracle worker or not and I just wanted to know what would happen if they just observed Jesus giving a sermon on the mount from a phone. Oh yeah, God. the religious upbringing is shining through. <laughs> So thank you so much, dear listener, as always, for joining us on this fun little revisit to The Runaway Bride. But this has not been a fun trip for no reason. We have very specifically chosen this as we are kicking off season three of Hulala, going towards the 60th anniversary celebrations of Doc 2 and beyond. And next week, we have a very exciting episode as it's the first episode in our new series, Here's What You Missed on Who, where we're going to look back on moments of Doc 2 history that you may have missed leading towards the 60th. Now, I don't know about you, dear listener, but a lot of my friends who are similar ages to us that we speak to go oh my god i loved doc 2 when i was a kid i i had all the toys i watched all the episodes i kind of stopped watching at and it may have been you know when matt smith joined when peter capaldi joined when jodie whittaker joined but people sort of stopped watching the show and we want to make sure the 60th is accessible for all viewers so next week we're going to be looking at here's what you missed on who the 11th doctor where we recap the entire era of the 11th doctor as played by matt smith Something else we'd really love as well is if you have any feelings you'd like to share with us, you don't need to write it in text. You can share your voice notes with us. And if you'd like, we can include those voice notes in our next episode and we can react to what you're saying so we can hear your lovely voice as well. Spruce it up a little bit so it's not just us two. So if you've got any particularly strong feelings or interesting reflections on the era of the 11th Doctor, please do share those with us. You can send them our way and let us know if you're happy for us to include that in our next episode. Exactly. You can reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, threads. Actually, I don't think you can send us DMs on threads. Maybe you can. <laughs> no, you I can't. can't keep up. Twitter Instagram, is X now. Mate. Instagram. Everything's changing. Send it to us on Instagram, Twitter or X, all of which are at Pod. Please send us your voice notes and be a part of Hulala with us. You can also rewatch old episodes of the podcast as always on our YouTube channel, which is also at Pod. And if you enjoy this week's episode, you can help us out by leaving a review wherever you get your podcast, whether that's Apple podcast spotify something else leave us a nice review it really helps us out with the rankings and such and finding new people and it makes us feel nice we're the only two checking these reviews so uh (laughs) we'd love to hear what you think exactly well thank you again for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next week where we go over here's what you missed on who the 11th doctor until next time i'm sam and i'm alistair bye